verses 6 through 8. If you're there, would you say amen? I know you're there because it's up on the screen. So everybody say amen. James chapter 4, verse number 6 says, But he gives more grace. Therefore it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. And humble yourself before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Tonight, I just want to speak from the simple topic, draw near. I wonder if you want to draw near before we leave this place. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. He was just a little lad and on a Sabbath day was wandering home from Sunday school and was dawdling on his way. He scuffed his shoes into the grass. He found a caterpillar. He found a fluffy milkweed pod and blew out all the filler. A bird's nest in the tree overhead so wisely placed and high was just another wonder that caught his eager eye. A neighbor watched his zigzag course and hailed him from the lawn, asked him where he had been that day and what was going on. Oh, I've, I've been to Sunday school. As he carefully turned the sod and found a small snail beneath it, I've learned a lot of God. A very fine way, the neighbor said, for a boy to spend his time If you'll tell me where God is, I'll give you a brand new dime. Quick as a flash, his answer came, nor were his accents faint. I'll give you a dollar, mister, if you can tell me where God ain't. God is omnipresent. There are certain truths about God that are so fundamental and foundational that they are often taken for granted. God is is omnipresent. That means that He is everywhere all the time. It's one of those truths. He is every place in every time. The one who describes Himself as the high and lofty one that inhabiteth eternity says, furthermore, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. In Jeremiah, God declared that He was at hand and not far off. He went on to say, do not I fill the heaven and the earth. The atheist wrote, God is nowhere. But his little daughter read it, God is now here. You see, God is here. Wherever you are, wherever you live, whatever you're going through, God is here. Would somebody say that tonight? God is here. That's what omnipresent means. There is no place that he is not. There is no place he doesn't exist. Jonah figured this out when he tried to run from God. And he found that not only was he in the storm-tossed sea, but even in the belly of a whale, he could cry out and God was there. David said, whither shall I flee from thy presence? He said, if I make my bed in hell, or if I ascend into the heavens on the wings of the morning. He said, even there, Lord, you are still there. I cannot flee from your presence. Somebody say, you can't get away from God. You can't get away from God. He's everywhere. 
And so if it's impossible for me to flee from his presence, how how can it be possible for me to get closer to God? If it's impossible to outrun his presence and to find a place where he is not, how can I draw, draw close to God? Ladies and gentlemen, your distance from God is not measured in miles. Your proximity to God is not measured by metrics of inches or yards or feet or miles. It's not measured in space or geometry, but your distance from God or your closeness to God is measured by your relationship with God. It's not your proximity. It's how close you are to God personally. This is the, the testimony of the children of Exodus. The Bible says that God was with them. God was working on them. God was working around them. But they were not with God. And so Exodus paints a unique picture of the nation of Israel as they are being called out and drawn out of Egypt so that God can lead them into the land of promise and victory. Much of the story of Exodus takes place after they leave Egypt, but before they've entered the promised land. And they are no longer slaves in Egypt, but they still haven't come home yet either. They're in transit, being drawn out. Somebody say drawn out. But at the same time, being drawn in. Drawn out of Egypt and into the promised land. Listen to what Hosea the prophet said. And, and I'll get to the preaching part. I'm just kind of laying a foundation for a minute. But Hosea 11.1 1 says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. God said, I called them out of Egypt. They were slaves there. They were in bondage there. They didn't have the power over their own destiny there. But I called them out of Egypt. And the more they were called, the New Living Translation says, the more they went away. They kept sacrificing to Baals and burning offerings to idols. And he says, yet it was I who taught them to walk. I took them up by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. God said, I was drawing them out. I was pulling them out. I was bringing them out of Exodus, uh, uh, out of Egypt into the Exodus. And listen, he says in verse 4, I led them with the cords of kindness and with the bands of love, and I became to them as one uh, who eases the yoke on their jaws. Let me see this right here. So God says, what Israel doesn't realize is I had some bands on them that they could not see. They didn't even realize what was happening. But God said they were just a child. They were a young nation. They had done nothing to earn or deserve the love of God. But God sees them in their affliction. He sees them in their bondage. He sees them as they go to bed at night. And they're wishing and hoping for freedom. Wishing and hoping for a better life. Surely there must be a God out there who hears me. And, and, and God says of them, He says when they were just a child, he said, I called them out of Egypt and, and they didn't know, but I was teaching them to walk. I was, I, I took them up by their arms, but they didn't know that I healed them. I led them with cords of kindness 
and bands of love. And I became to them the one who eases the yoke on their jaws. Hosea uses this descriptive language of how God brings Egypt out. He says, I led them with cords of a man and with bands of love, like, like a rescue line thrown out to a drowning soul. God threw a rope and a line around Israel and began drawing them out of Egypt. He said, I love them and I called them out. Help me out, brother Justin. God says, I was pulling them out of their sin. I was pulling them out of their shame. I was pulling them to myself. I loved them, even though they didn't know it. All right, don't break my arm. (laughs) And God says, I I put a line on my people. I, I threw a rope around them and began drawing them out of Egypt. I loved them, and I led them with the cords of kindness. You see, Israel had marched out in one night. They they collected their things and made their escape. But many had left some affections behind in Egypt. They had left Egypt in one night as a nation. But it took much longer. They were struggling to leave Egypt behind in their heart and in their soul. They still thought like Egyptians. They were still accustomed to the ways of Egypt. And, and it takes one night for God to get Israel out of Egypt, but it takes many years for God to get Egypt out of Israel. They were caught between two kingdoms, two worlds, the old and the new, the past and the future, the place of bondage and the place of freedom. And this is why the wilderness was a struggle, because it is hard to be drawn into God's promises and into God's presence and plans for you while Egypt still holds territory in your heart. And for this reason, the wilderness was a strange mixture of victory and defeat, of miracles and of mess-ups. Simultaneously, Popping off at the same time. They were being delivered and saved and healed. But they were grumbling and they were worried and they were afraid. And and there are miracles mixed with mess ups. God's grace and yet still God's judgment of coming close to God and then falling away from God. And Exodus is not just a story. Exodus is our story. It's really about us, modern Christians. It's about the life of the believer who comes out of the world but still struggles with affection sometimes. We are called out of darkness and where? Into His marvelous light. Somebody say we're drawn out and we're being drawn in. Out of darkness into His... We're called out of the world and into the kingdom of God. We're drawn out and we're drawn in. We are called out of sin and into a new life. Drawn out, but yet still being drawn in. And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that, that these things, they weren't just written for us to remember or just for us to talk about. But Paul says that they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world have come. He says that it is not just a story, it's my story. It's not just a tale, it's, it's my tale. It's my story. And so God is showing us today that it's not just about them. He says uh, it's our story too. 
It is written for our admonition. And you see, what we need to realize from this text, first and foremost, is that God has a line on your life. Whether you realize it or not, before Israel even knew God was working on their exodus, before Moses ever arrived, he had a line on his people. He was hearing them cry out in their affliction. He was hearing them cry out in prayer. And let me tell you, the reason that you're here tonight is because God put a line on your life. Before you saw him working, before you ever felt his presence, he tells Jeremiah before you were born. Even in the mother's womb, I knew your name and I was calling you and I was drawing you. You're here tonight because the mercy and the grace of God put a line on your life. Israel didn't know that it was God who was teaching them to walk. They didn't know it was God that was pulling them out of their whole life. They didn't see it, but he was working. They didn't know it, but God placed a line on their life. Israel, the reason you're here and not back there is because God reached out and he put a loop on you when you didn't even know that he existed. When you were wondering where he was, he was on his way to you. Israel was being drawn out because God said, I put cords on them. I just want you to think about it for a moment that on your lost loved ones, God's got a line that is out. God is drawing people to himself. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. How does he do it? Because before they ever knew it, before they ever perceived it, before they ever imagined it, God in his love and in his mercy saw them. And he says, I'm going to save you from your sins. I'm going to deliver you from your past. I'm going to bring you into my kingdom. Israel was being drawn out. But I want to tell you, Egypt had some ties on them too. Egypt had some lines on them too. They were caught in a spiritual tug of war, pulled by God, but pulled by the world too. And the struggle was real. 1 Corinthians 10.5, but God was not pleased with most of them, for they were struck down in the wilderness. Here they had this, this beautiful story of being pulled out of Egypt. But, but God tells us that as they were being pulled out, they began to balk on the plans of God. And they began to pull and resist against what God was doing in their life. And with many of them, God was not pleased and they were struck down in the wilderness. Now these things became examples for us. So listen, that we will not desire evil things as they did. Now, I know what you're saying. I know what you're thinking. I don't desire evil stuff. I just want good. I want good things. I looked up that word evil to get a deeper meaning. And do you know what it means? It means worthless. It means worthless. It says that what the scripture is saying to us is that they traded the promised land, the purpose, and the plan of God for worthless stuff. Worthless things. Paul tells us why many didn't survive the wilderness. So God was drawing them out of Egypt. They were unable to resist another pull in their hearts back to Egypt. And they desired worthless things. Their value system got messed up 
in the wilderness place. They wanted to get God's promises, but they also wanted to eat and drink and play along the way. They wanted what God had for them, but they also wanted it by doing it Egypt's way. They wanted everything that God had purposed and planned for them. And they realized it's an incredible thing. God was working on them and pulling on them and delivering them. He had a line on their life, but they're here and they're reaching back to Egypt. Pulled between two worlds. And, and, and Paul says they're, they're our warning or our admonition. He says, so don't become idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to play. Listen to me carefully tonight. Because they were caught up in a culture of pleasure. In pursuit of things that would please their flesh. Almost as if they were unaware of what was happening around them. Almost as if they didn't understand the significance of what God was trying to lead them into. And listen, all around them miracles and signs and wonders were happening. But within them, there was another issue at play. God was doing the miraculous for them all around them. On the outside, they looked victorious. On the outside, they were free from Egypt. But on the inside, they were struggling and torn. All around them, miracles are happening. But I want to tell you tonight, it's not enough for God to work around me. It's not enough for God to do great things and for me to witness the wonderful works of God. You can be pulled by God, promised by God, protected by God, have provision from God without having a heart for God. You can have all of the trappings of the wilderness, all of the blessings of a graceful and merciful God, and still not have a heart for God. It's not enough that He's working around me. It's not enough that there's a pillar out there of fire and of cloud. It's not enough that He's opening seas out there. I don't just need God to work around me, but I need God to work within me. There's a work that God needs to do on the inside because salvation isn't an outside job. Salvation is an inside job. It's not enough for him to do miracles at my church. We had testimonies a couple weeks ago of people that came and stood and were healed. And we saw the miraculous provision of God. We saw the miraculous healing power of God. But listen, it's not enough for me to be in the midst of a place where God is doing great things for my benefit and for my sake. Without me understanding that in my heart there is a change that has to happen. Because it can go off all around me and still not affect what's going on in me. You see, only God can do what God can do. Anybody agree with that tonight? Only God can do what God can do. He can make a way through the waters. He can destroy the enemy. He can knock the wheels off of Pharaoh's chariot. He can rain manna from heaven. And he can bring water from a rock. He can move heaven and earth to break the outer chains of slavery. And God can send plagues upon our enemy. And he did all of that stuff for Israel. 
Because God will do what God can do. But only I can do what I can do. Can I get an amen? Amen. Only I can do what I can do. And only I can humble myself before God. Only I can repent of my sins. Only I can choose to point my heart toward the living God. Only I can decide to fall out of love with Egypt and in love with the God who's saving me. Only I can do that. And so we need two parties to see the promise come to pass. God will do everything and anything that He can do. But we must do everything and anything that we can do. Just as God did all the necessary work to deliver Israel from Egypt, Jesus has done all the work to set me free from this world of sin and shame. He conquered death, hell, and the grave. He took the death of the cross, and the Bible says the grave swallowed him up, but it didn't swallow him whole because he stepped back out on the third day. Only Jesus could do that. Only Jesus is the spotless lamb slain before the foundation of the world. Only Jesus can save my soul. Only Jesus could be the one, the spotless lamb of God. And he did it because he loves me and he has a promise for me. But salvation is an inside job. And he did what I couldn't do so that I can do what only I can do. Only I can bring in my heart. Only I can put my life in his hands. Only I can turn away from sin. Only I can stop seeking the stuff the world says that I need. And God speaks of Israel. And he says this covenant will not be like the one that I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. He said they did not remain faithful to my covenant. So I turned my back on them, says the Lord. But this is the new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. Listen to what he says. He said, I tried to pull them out. Pull me. Help me, God. This is, this is God tonight. Welcome, God. God had tried to pull them into the promise. But the Bible says they balked at God's influence and God's plan. And he says, I made a covenant with them and I tried to pull them out. I tried to lead them out. Listen to to the language. He says, I tried, I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt. But they didn't remain faithful. They were overthrown in the wilderness. So he said, I make a new covenant. And this covenant is different. Because this covenant isn't all about what's happening on the outside. This covenant's about what's happening on the inside. He says, this covenant I will make with the people of Israel on that day, says the Lord. I will put my law in their mind. And I will write it in their hearts. And I will be, listen to this, I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives saying, you should know the Lord for everyone. Somebody say everyone. Everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already. And I will forgive their wickedness. And I will never... Never again remember their sin. Israel messed up at a crucial moment. In their window of opportunity, their hearts kept going back. Their minds kept going back. And and we know the scriptures because the Bible says that when they got to Merah and the waters were bitter, they balked at the plan of God and they said, God, did you bring us to to this wilderness to die? Is that why we're here, God? This is your judgment on us? You're leaving us hanging, God? And they said, if only we could go back, go back to Israel. 
I mean to Egypt. If only we could go back to where they had fish and food and, and garlic and onions. I know kids are saying, what? <laughs> That's what I said when I was a kid. They wanted to go back to garlic and onions. Listen, when you're hungry, you want anything. They said, we want to go back. It was so easy there. There was no struggle there. Yeah, we were slaves. I mean, got beat if we didn't do our homework. Right? We, we were brutalized, had no will of our own, but at least we could eat there. And they said, we want to go back. And, and, and there was a line on their life, but their hearts are pulling them in the opposite direction of God. The Bible says they grew discouraged because of the way that God was taking them because He didn't take them on a straight road. He took them through mountains and valleys and through dry places. And, and they're saying, God, what are you doing? God, why are we going this way? Like backseat drivers. Like they're supposed to know the way the living God should lead them. And they're, they're back there tapping God on the shoulder saying, uh, uh, God, I, I think you missed your turn. It looked a whole lot easier to go that other way. And God knew what they needed and when they needed it. And He knew where He was leading them. But their hearts were pulling them to an easier path, an easier way, a, a, a less troublesome way. And, and then when Moses goes to the mountaintop, we know their hearts are, are drifting from God because God says, I want the people to come to me. And they say, no, 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 no. We're afraid to hear from God. Moses, you go up into the mountaintop. You talk to God and tell us what He said. And here they are on the line, but they're distancing themselves from God. And God is, is trying to, to get them to come into His plan and into His promise. And, and Israel messed up at a crucial moment. The window of opportunity uh, uh, was quickly passing them by and they kept going back in their hearts. And, and, and they kept being distracted by other desires and other things. It's not that they hated God. It's that there were two affections at war and two desires at war in their heart. Did they want God to do it? Yes, they wanted God to do it, but they wanted Him to do it the easy way. Does it have to... God, does it really matter if... God, why do we have to go this hard place and this hard way? Why? Why do we have to do that? And... The line is on their life, but their heart is pulling them to other things. And they keep reaching. They're ready to trade a land that flows with milk and honey for slavery and rations. They're ready to trade everything that God has declared. And it's real easy. Bear with me for just a couple more minutes. It's real easy to start seeing God as the mean one. It's real easy to start seeing God as a bad guy because he's got a line and he just keeps pulling us. And every time we want to live in ease, he's pulling us out of our ease. And we're like, God, no. I... Prayer's tough. Can I just feast and believe? Do I really have to fast? God, I... surely there's got to be an easier way. Repentance is hard. I've been living with him for a long time. I know we're not married, but God, does it really have to be this difficult? And it's easy. Hear me 
in the Holy Ghost tonight. God gave me this. It's easy to start seeing God as the problem and not the solution. It's easy when there's another affection in your heart and you're reaching for career and God is saying, no, calling, calling, calling. And you're reaching for wealth and God is saying, no, 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 sacrifice, sacrifice. It's easy to get it all wrong and start seeing God as your enemy. That's exactly what James says in James chapter 4. He's talking to Christians. Not not unsaved folks. He's talking to Christians. And he says, what is the source of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from the cravings that are war within you? For you desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war. And you do not have because you do not ask. He said, you're reaching for all the wrong stuff. And so you're spiritually frustrated. And then he says... Listen, then he says, you do not have because you do not ask. You're prayerless. Listen, prayerless Christian, the reason you're frustrated is because you're not asking God for the things that you need. And he says, and if you do ask, you ask and don't receive because you ask with the wrong motive so that you may spend it on your evil desires. Listen to Israel. When they get tired of the manna, God is providing a way out of nowhere. They get sick of God's manna and they say, we want quail. Really? You're eating miracle food every day. We want quail. And God gave them quail. But it was more like a judgment of quail. He poured so much quail on them they were sick. (laughs) And listen. James says you don't ask. And you don't ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So that you may spend it on your evil desire. He said adulteresses. Don't you know. Listen to this. That friendship with the world is hostility toward God. So whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. Listen, Israel, as long as you're thinking like Egypt, you're going to start seeing God as the bad guy and not your Savior. Listen, Egypt, as long as you long for the life that you had back there in the world, and as long as you want to do it the world's way, you're going to see God as your enemy and not as your friend. He's got a line on your life, a line of grace, a line of mercy. He will forgive you of your sins. He'll lift you beyond your worst failures and your mistakes. But understand this, the the deliverance cannot happen. It cannot happen until you repent, until you change your mind, until you say, you know what, God, forgive me for thinking that you were against me. Forgive me for thinking that you were trying to stop me and you were trying to block me and you were trying to hold me out of things that you wanted for me. God, forgive me because, God, I had it all wrong. Listen to this. James says, God resists the proud. And when the proud try to do it their way, you know what God does? They're trying to walk this way. And God pulls them back. God is resisting the proud. I know we've always seen that as saying God, He's coming out to fight the proud. Right? But I saw it in a different light. As I begin to pray, is God is resisting your will. He's fighting and holding you back from the things that you think that you want. From the things that you think that you need. From the things that you think that you deserve. And God is resisting. God, let's go my way. Come on, God. This is how I want to live with my family. This is how I want to prioritize the kingdom. God, this is how. God, church once a month is fine. God, come on, God. And God is saying, no, no. I've got a line of mercy. See on your life and I want to save you. God, resist the proud. 
Pride is the root of the inner war. My way, my will. Come on, God. I've got some great plans for us. And God is saying, no, you can't go that way. Don't go that way, son. Don't, don't go that way, daughter. And God, resist the proud. James wrote to these Christians who were trying to get God's promises and blessings while they still had affections in this world. And God was against them. Hear me tonight. I don't have much more time. It's first Wednesday. Hear me in the Holy Ghost. That God wants to give you everything that you desire and more. But you can never get it your way. You can never get it trying to lead God in your deliverance. You can never get it the way that you want it. God, you see, I always saw it as the judgment of God. But it's judgment disguised as grace. In fact, the scripture says it. It says he giveth more grace. For God resists the proud. You know, one of the greatest graces God will ever do you in your life is not leave you to yourself. Not leave you to your way. He'll send a preacher on a first Wednesday in a church full of saved people to say you love the world too much. And you've been trying to pull God along. And God is saying, no, I have so much better things and I, I just can't let you go there. Israel, I know it hurts. I know there's pain in the process. I know that you're troubled. I know that you don't understand what I'm doing. But it's mercy and grace that is resisting my will. And listen to what James says. God resists the proud, but he gives grace. So they say grace. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, listen. He says, therefore, submit to God. Here's what you need to do. If you felt far from God, your problem is not proximity. Your problem is in your heart. Intimacy is an inner issue. It's about the condition of the heart. He says, therefore, because God is resisting you and because God gives grace to the humble, he says, I want you to submit yourself. The word submit means come under. It means no longer am I going to elevate my opinion, my will, my way over your way, but I'm going to submit to God. Listen, I'm going to resist the devil. That means I'm going to stop fighting against God for the world. And I'm going to start fighting the world as I try to make it to God. I'm going to resist the devil. I'm not going to buy into his lies anymore. I'm not going to follow his plans anymore. I'm not going to ascribe to his morals and values anymore. I'm not going to do it that way. No, I'm going to submit myself to God. And I'm going to resist the devil. I'm going to push away the world. And listen to what he says. He says, and if you will draw near to God. Watch. Watch what happens. You'll draw near to God. God will draw near to you. Why? Because He wants a relationship with you so bad that He will double the time. He will split it in half. He'll meet you on your way like the prodigal son coming home. The father saw him yet a long way off. And he said, I see my son coming. And the father ran to him. Because when you draw near to God, heaven and earth and hell cannot stand 
in the way of a God that loves you and wants to spend time with you. He says, draw near to God. Stand with me. And he draw me. Cleanse your hands, sinners. Purify your hearts. Double-minded. See, tonight, I get to choose how close I am to God. I get to choose where my family ends up, where my legacy ends up. I get to choose. No matter how far I've gone, no matter how much I've messed up, no matter how much I've reached for all the wrong things, God has just steadily been pulling. And if I will repent, Jesus said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. He said, heaven's come as close as it can come. Heaven has come as close as it can come. But the only way that you can get close to God, I know, I know we say it's pray. And we say it's, well, if you'll fast, you'll be closer to God. But the real issue is in the heart. If we will repent and change our minds and stop reaching and looking to other things, that's how you get close to God. Because when you repent, prayer isn't a chore. It's a privilege. When you repent, living for God and putting away sin is a privilege. It, it changes everything. Everything no longer is God my enemy, but God is my Savior. And so, somebody say, I get to choose. My destiny and relationship with God is in His hands, but it's in my hands too. And I can do it my way, by my will, but when I do, I distance myself from God and sabotage His plan for my life. But hear me tonight. That if I will humble myself, if I will turn from my wicked ways, if I will seek His face, God says, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive all of your sins. I'll send rain upon your land. I'll do whatever it is that you need if you'll just turn your heart to me. I don't know why God sent me to preach that tonight. I pray that somebody that's in a curious moment where you find stuff down in your heart, every head bowed and every eye closed, in a curious moment where other desires and other things have cropped up in your life and in your spirit, that you will hear just a simple message on a Wednesday night of a preacher saying that if you'll turn your heart to God, God will do everything in His power to do this. And you can have everything that you want from God because God loves you and He wants to deliver you into everything that He has declared is for you. God, right now in this room, God, we come before you and we humble ourselves, God. God, if we've lost our way and if we begin to struggle against your path and your plan, Lord, we come back again. I wonder, even if it's just right where you're at, if you drop to a knee, if somebody would put a hand over a heart or lift a hand in the air and say, God, right where I'm at, I'm bringing my heart back to you again. Because the kingdom of heaven is as close as a heart that will say, okay, here I am, Lord. Here I am, God. I give all myself to thee. Here I am. Come on, right now, would you just lift up your hands? We're just going to pray for a moment before we leave. Can I get a praise singer to lead us in? Here I am, Lord. God, right now, I pray that your spirit would sweep through this room. 
And God, that you would minister to somebody's heart, to somebody's spirit and mind right now. Come on, lay your hand on a neighbor. It's only 8.08. We've got a minute for God to work. Come on, just lay your hand. Grab a neighbor and say, God, we don't want to be lost. God, we don't want to struggle against your plan and your will. But God, we want to meet you in the middle. God, we want to meet you in relationship. God, just to be close to you is all that we really want. Come on, can somebody just take a moment and start flipping down the switches of worldliness? This stuff that's pulling you You don't need money. You don't need the lottery. Come on, you don't need a raise. That's not what you need. What you need is to get close to God. Close to the King of Kings. What you need is to get your prayer life back. What you need is to get your worship back. What you need is just to come back and fall at His feet again. Hallelujah. Come on, if you want to step to this altar, you're welcome tonight. The altar is open. If you just want to say, God, I'm right here. And God, I'm coming to you. It's open, Lord. We pray right now. God, that hearts would be touched. Your spirit Anybody who wants to come. Here I am, Lord. Just sing it from your heart. Here I am. Jesus, I give all myself to you. Here I am. Come on, that's it. Take a moment the world in me. Take it out. God, I don't want you to resist. God, I want you to pull me to your promises, God. Pull me to your presence, God. Pull me into your kingdom, I give you my heart tonight. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Here I am.